Today's episode on Police Pie Talk is sponsored by Crossing Color Lines. Crossing Color Lines is an organization established to speak directly to the issues of race, culture, and ethnicity in the world today. Crossing Color Lines offers resources, tools, and guidance to help anyone along their journey towards racial healing. For more information on Crossing Color Lines, go to crossingcolorlines.org. Here we go, here we go. Welcome to Police Pod Talk. Whoop, whoop, it's the police. Don't look in your rearview mirror. This podcast covers the latest police news along with hitting the hot topics you've been talking about all week. I'm your host, Cleveland. Thank you for joining us. Let me ask you this. Black Lives Matter, they're marching, they're protesting, Mm -hmm. they're holding up signs, they're doing all those things. Who is organizing (laughs) one meeting to say, look, we've marched, we've done our thing, here's what our demands are, here's what we would like to see change to make this better. Is there someone doing that or is every place? Uh, Okay, I think I kind of hear the answer, but answer it anyway. (laughs) Okay, that is a great question. And uh, that's actually something I wanted to talk about. So I think I, I was looking at their website and I believe the probably their strength of Black Lives Matter, I think the majority of their leadership really comes from um, awareness. I think they're excellent at raising awareness and shining a light on things. Um, I think Black Lives Matter, obviously, is, it's become a really um, simple rallying cry and theme, mm-hmm. even around the world. I think there's some benefit to that. As far as, again, kind of that mindful approach of like, what are we asking for? We need to transition into moving from getting attention to connecting and figuring out where we're going and, and what we're specifically asking for. You know, um, I, I don't know that that's exactly the the focus right now, Black Lives Matter. I have not seen a lot that would lead me to that conclusion. And if I miss something, you know, I apologize. But um, I think that there are different arms and different entities that I think people need to look at. And I think people need to pay attention to and support, you know, even talking about where people throw their resources. So let's say you're a person who's not of color and you're just now kind of realizing like, oh my gosh, this is significant and I really want to get involved and I really want to do something. Right now we've got this influx of money just being thrown at a lot of different things. And let's be honest, a ton of money being thrown on Black Lives Matter. Um, in my mind, when I give to charity or benevolently or whatever, I always want to know like, what is this going towards and what is it going to be helpful for? I don't like to just blindly throw stuff at things. Even like when you're doing like sometimes national fundraisers for disaster relief and stuff. Like, I would rather partner with an organization I know is going to execute and that they're not spending it all on, like, administrative costs. I think it's worth people paying attention. And so one of the, the entities and organizations I find very, being very effective is Brian Stevenson and the Equal Justice Initiative. Now, of course, everybody's familiar with him now because of the movie that's come out and documentary that's come out. The, uh, you know, there's this memorial that he opened a few years ago that they opened. Just that work in that space of trying to help people that have been pulled into the system under, you know, some sometimes unethical, sometimes false, and just through miscarriage of justice in a lot of situations, um, they work to address that. I think they're important. I think um, there's an organization based out of Atlanta called the AND Campaign. I love them because they talk about, you know, they are um, faith-based, but they're also in the political space. And so basically the foundation of their vision is that you can have um, social justice and biblical morality. Like you can have morality mm-hmm. and social justice. Right. It doesn't have to be a, it doesn't have to be a, you know, are you red or are you blue? Are you Republican? Are you Democrat? It's about like, yes, the political process is a tool we can use to kind of make some, some systemic changes. Right. But 
please understand, like, you don't have to pick one or the other, just like you don't have to pick one or the other with supporting police and supporting minorities. There's no reason that you have to do that. I think it's about, again, these are all people being represented here and they all need love and they all need support and we all need to figure out how to solve that. So I think, you know, there are some, there's the Innocence Project, which they're also doing some things, deal with people with convictions that are like egregious amounts of time being you know served and different things like that. Um, and also obviously innocent people that have been convicted on, you know, poor evidence or false evidence, things like that. But I also believe, you know, and I haven't dug into it a lot, but I believe that, you know, it is time for some of the leading thinkers and leading minority voices to have sit downs with policymakers and police. Um, I know that there are, you know, in our legislation, there's some representatives that are trying to push some bills forward to address some, you know, to initially address some of the issues related to some of our policing standards, you know, Representative Tim Scott and uh, Representative Cedric Richmond. Now, both of those guys are on opposite aisles, sides of the aisle, you know, one's representative, uh, one's Republican and one's Democrat. But I think maybe it's starting to have conversations with those guys in, in addition to, you know, some white representatives. And I think, honestly, I don't think there's one person out there just like hanging out, waiting for their chance, like Dr. King is just going to come out and have it and just roll out the whole, the whole new layout, the whole format. I think it's about connecting. And I think, again, when cities, municipalities, counties, communities, when they start to have um, meaningful engagement with leading voices, again, I'm going to always bring it back to what's in your space, you know? And so, and I, and I think, you know, people always kind of assume that we're going to have this national policy rolled out. And it's going to trickle down every state and every state's going to adopt some version of that or going to do basically the same thing. And we're like looking to the national leadership to regulate and control and affect and, and correct this stuff. And then everybody else is going to fall in line mm-hmm. um, just by nature. The way we're designed as a country, which is unique to us, is that we do have a national leadership. We have a national government, but they intentionally left it to states to determine and and guide and lead in a lot of ways how their state is going to look and how their state's going to operate. And guess what? Beyond that, a lot of states empower counties to handle their stuff and counties empower cities you know and so it's really what i think the approach is is instead of looking to our national leadership and going okay fix this for us so we can follow suit i think what we do is which by the way if you look at history a lot of times when the national policies were rolled out and we followed suit it wasn't really for the best of everybody so let's keep that in mind Um, but what if we go from a new approach and go let me start looking at in my neighborhood and literally this sounds crazy but literally let's change the attitudes and the leadership in our homeowners associations you know what a lot of these homeowners associations have these goofy (laughs) old white guys with nothing better to do than to water their lawn and gripe about the young people you know what i mean like get those cats out of there and let's talk about you know what yeah it's okay to have a basketball ball in our neighborhood i literally have a friend a black man who they had a huge battle in their homeowners association and ended up getting shut down because they did not want a basketball goal in their neighborhood um like near their courts tennis courts or wherever they were putting it up because they're concerned about drawing in young minority kids and they didn't want that in their neighborhood. So like, there's just some things like that where we, like mm-hmm. start in your neighborhood, start in your community, start in your church leadership. That's a, probably a whole nother podcast, but like <laughs> churches need to address their leadership. Like yeah. how in the world can you expect people to feel comfortable in your doors and nothing in your leadership either reflects the people you're trying to speak to, nor do they advocate for the people you're trying to speak to. And, you know, so anyway, so that's, so start with that. Then let's work our way out. So how about looking at, you know, city council people? I definitely encourage people to run. I know that the, current political process typically feels very overwhelming and daunting and it's very expensive. So again, talking about where you're throwing your resources, if you're a person, you know, a white person who's figured out like, you know what, I want to do something, then look around and see if there might be a qualified candidate in your community that could really use some of your support, whether it's, you know, just moral support or financial support and, and start to put some new candidates forward for from local offices, city council, county council. There's a situation last year in a small town down here in Georgia called Brazelton 
and a guy just out loud in an open public forum on a council member, it's a small town, he out loud was just saying very racist remarks and the people pursued him after and some people, you know, disagreed with him and called him out, you know, some of the, the public called him out. He left and was walking to his car and people pursued him and videotaped and like pushed him on this. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And he point blank said, like, it's immoral for black people and white people to get married. Like he was just he didn't try to hide it. And so people eventually pushed for him to be ousted. And I believe he was removed. But let's maybe not get that guy on the board in the first place. You know, like, I got to be honest, a small town like that, that's probably not the first time he said something like that to people around him. Probably most people weren't shocked by that. By, by, by those sentiments. And so, you know, be more mindful about who we're putting forward for city council, county council. And then, you know, and as it goes out incrementally, just look at what do we have control or what can we do differently? What can we do? What can we shift? And mm-hmm. also it's much easier to sit down and then, you know, in a city, pull in some, you know, minority voices, some minority leaders, and, and then that just pull in, and I'm gonna, this may throw some people off and they may be upset. Don't just pull in the black pastors, pull in black business leaders, pull in black educators, Pulling in, you know, even some moms, like for heaven's sake, ask a black mom what she really needs for support. Don't tell her what you're going to do for her. Ask her what she needs. Pull in some young black males, you know, and I'm not saying that like they get to sit there and berate the leadership, but like, again, an intentional, mindful partnership with the community, talking through some things and there may be perspective you just haven't thought of because it's not part of your reality and part of your experience. And likewise, you may be able to communicate and articulate some intentions and meaning behind some of the laws and regulations that are in place, that when you are able to share that with community members and community leaders, they can help disseminate that and help uh, help people understand and partner with that right. partnership. So now, is this kind of what your new organization, Crossing Color Lines, is this what they do? So yeah, so what we kind of really encourage people to do, um, we kind of, it's multifaceted in our approach, but we again feel like it's important to begin to empower people on a personal level. So, you know, when everything blew up, um, over that weekend um, in May, a lot, I mean, the majority of people who were calling me were white folks. And a lot of them were people who had never, never understood or ever saw anything before until that weekend. And a lot of the questions we're getting was, you know, how do I talk to my kids about race? Do I talk to my kids about race? What do I do differently in my home? What What can I do right now? What can I do today? What can I do tomorrow? Should I go to the protest? Should I not go to the protest? Is it, you know, who, who do I reach out to? And so um, we really focus on, you know, we do try to support families a lot. Um, there's just not a lot of resources out there right now that in, a, in, in one space where you can find information about what do I do um, and how and how do I go about doing it. But we also, you know, there's some un, um, you know, obviously the whole focus right now is on police um, and and black people basically, and um, and that's one area where there's is- an issue. But we also find in the medical field it is egregious some of the systemic racism that occurs in the medical field and again that impacts lives and people you know there's I, i've read some journals and some papers and some different stories about until recently and it's still i'm sure there's still some cases where this is still occurring there were literal textbooks in medical schools that told people trained people that black folks don't feel pain as much as white folks and they would literally based on your race prescribe a different a course of care for um, pain management what? Like, (laughs) I'm sorry, what? And so, you know, and and here's the deal. So I'm going to give you a personal story. My father, uh, a few months ago, had some medical issues. And he had some very, it was very, like, it was very transparent, it was very obvious what his medical issues were. He had, there's a threshold for some things that were should be in the normal range, they were spiked way out of normal range. So he went in, it was some new symptoms he was presented with, he'd never had before. And so he went into a clinic initially to, they wanted to just run a battery of tests and some blood work. 
they took his vitals, took some initial preliminary stuff, and they immediately realized, oh my goodness, this is some some serious stuff. And so it was important. So they took the, the steps of calling ahead to the, the hospital, told them he was coming, told them what his symptoms were, and said, you need to see this man right away. This is serious. So it's COVID-19 protocols in place. This is a couple of months back. And so my mom had to drop him off at the emergency room doors, and he had to go and check himself in. Now, my dad is a large black male some people think he's dark i don't really think he's that dark because i have way darker <laughs> family members and i don't know why people but whatever maybe you've never seen very many black people before but anyways so he's clearly a black man by himself he's you know he's over 50 you know so he's a little bit older black man too so he goes in and checks in and i will give you the short version of it but almost everybody you go in you come in with an affected ingrown toenail they're probably going to put you on an iv like just when you come in the emergency room like just everybody gets an iv in the emergency room is pretty much what happens and specifically with his symptoms that he was dealing with fluids had an issue there it had to do with fluids my father was put into a triage room and he's a big guy there was a hospital gown on the bed and the girl just said uh just put that on and my dad said well can I get a larger one? I'll see if I can find one. She leaves. And b- because of all of his, you know, situation, he's thinking I may have to like, you know, give different, whatever. Long story short, he had this, he sits there. The woman leaves. He needed to go to the restroom. Nobody came by. Nobody looked at him, nothing. So he just found his way to the restroom. And then he sat. There was um, a couple people I think maybe came in and took his vitals maybe. And then he proceeded to sit for six to eight hours in the waiting room. I mean, not in the waiting room, in the, in the triage room, in his gown. No one gave him fluids. No one would give him anything to drink. No one would check on him. No one told him what they were processing. No one told him what they were doing. Six hours later, at this point, I'm in, you know, Georgia. I've got family that are in Indiana, but like mm-hmm. we can't physically go in the hospital. We're on like video chats and Zoom trying to figure out what's happening here and like what do we do? How do we get help? What do we who do we call? It's by this point it's in the evening. He went in the afternoon. At this point, it's getting into the late evening. They proceed to tell him that um due to COVID-19 protocols, we're trying to redirect and divert everybody who's non-COVID patients to a different campus, which is a much less, I'm going to be honest with you, a less desirable campus, and it's in a more urban space. And we're like, what is the purpose of that? And like, well, we just, with patients and everything, we have to try and keep everything separate. So we were like, that didn't sit right. So we ended up calling somebody who actually works for that hospital at that particular campus that my dad was at. He's like, no, that's not the protocol. He's like, not only that, we're so slow right now, I can't get work. They've cut my hours. (laughs) And Jeez. so then we called the campus they were going to supposedly transport my dad to. We're like, is this part of your system's networks of pr- process? And they're like, no. Why would you? And so they leave this black man to sit by himself with symptoms that were becoming critically dangerous. And anybody, and, and not to mention, I'm sorry, they called ahead to tell them this man was coming with these specific symptoms. Nobody would give him any care. It got to the point where and this is how it was resolved. I finally was like, you know, I was trying to honor my dad and his leadership and I don't want to ever try to like, like, obviously my parents don't need to be managed. They don't need to be parented, but I wanted to support him. Like, he's not feeling well right now. And right. so somebody's going to advocate for this man. So we got on video conference and there was this white doctor that had been being, he was the one who was being dismissive. They still had not given him anything, no fluids, given him no like information about what they were planning to do for him other than they were, were going to try and transport him. We were even looking at trying to get him to a different hospital, all this kind of crazy stuff. We're on video conference discussing, a dad, I think we need to get you out of there and we need to take you to a different hospital. We've already called ahead to another hospital. We think they'll take better care of you. We told him the situation. My dad asked the, the doctor to step out of the office, step out of the room. While he's on the video call with us, the man walks back in the room and interrupts our family conversation and starts talking down to us. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? And so I personally like just snapped and I just dismissed him. I said, listen, you already know what you've done. You know what you've done wrong. You're dismissed from this room and we'll let you know what we decide. And so he refused to leave the room. 
And so finally my dad said, could you please leave and give us a moment and I'll, I'll get back with you. So the guy finally left. When you realize he had all this support behind him and all this understanding and information behind him, suddenly that man disappeared. He never comes back and they send in a, a black African doctor. <laughs> 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 and that guy comes in and he's all kind of like nonchalant. He's like, yeah, don't worry. We're not going to transport you. We're going to go ahead and get you admitted. Da, 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 da. And so after basically an eight hour ordeal, my dad finally gets some IV fluids. They start to do some medical care basically about eight hours in. He gets admitted into uh, a hospital and they put him in the heart wing, which whatever reason they did that, it actually turned out great because it was farthest away from where they're putting COVID patients if they had any. Right. And he said it was completely empty. The hospital was really empty and open and it was, he had amazing care on that floor. But leading up to that, like my dad is, has multiple master's degrees. You know, everybody in our family is very well educated. There's, you know, a lot of really intelligent people there and we recognize the new right way what was going on. So if that's what happens to it, and not to mention he's a respected member of the community and people still remember him for his work in education and what he's doing in education. If this man can't get proper care in those scenarios, in that circumstance, what is happening to low-income individuals who are going into these hospitals and these underfunded spaces? Mm-hmm. And you know what's happening all over America right now? That's a major issue. We've got to address medical field systemic racism. Hmm. So I'm sorry. The question you originally asked was, <laughs> what does Crossing Color Lines do? That is what we do. We educate people, we inform people, we empower people, we give people tools on how to do things. So that looks like everything from coming and speaking and being with leadership. That's one of the things we've had a lot of demand for lately is like, okay, you know what, we want to do a 180. How do we start? Where do we start? And that's, you know, in religious spaces, and that's in social spaces. Um, I actually have a young lady that I'm very close to who's working in a, a prominent business in my hometown. And they just have started to realize like, oh, my goodness, we have not done well in the, in the business space on being open to diversity and being intentional about diversity. And so they've asked her and she works with us and she's part of kind of our, our inner circle of support staff. And so she's like said, guys, I've got some ideas for you if you want some help. And so, you know, talking her through some of that and as she's been able to have conversations with vice presidents and people just saying, you know, here's some things to consider. And it's not about us sweeping in and saying, okay, all this has to go, wipe all this off the books. And here's where we start over from scratch. If that's what somebody wants to do, we'll have, we'll be happy to help that. But in most cases, it's about what are some gradual things we can implement here? What are some new things we can do? How can we shift some things? It's talking through leadership. You know, with churches, that's a whole other um, approach that's really exciting and really neat to do. Because, you know, the instinct for a lot of people, specifically white churches, like, I better go hire a black guy now. Like, no, not necessarily. Like, that might not be your first move. And so talking through that even and just helping people, you know, cast a new vision and cast a new approach to management and leadership is um, also part of what we do when we consult but we also have, we offer workshops if people want to do a workshop. We're not one of those folks that want to say like, here's our, our package, like, you know, remedy aid. It's kind of like, it's kind of like when you have a recall on your car and they're like, yeah. um, you know, come by and we'll give you the kit to fix what's messed up in your car. Like we don't just offer you a kit to tack onto your car to fix what got messed up. We're more holistic in it and, and the approach and say, okay, what are you actually asking for? What are you looking for? Mm-hmm. Again, what's attainable, what's accessible and where are you trying to go with this thing? And, and if it means dismantling the car and rebuilding it, it means getting a new car, you know, we'll help you figure that out. It's not just about putting a patch on it. So now do you guys go outside of your area? Do you come all the way up to Indiana? Oh, yes. And actually, some of our um, leadership is based in Indiana. We we cover everywhere, though. We will travel. Have a plan and we'll travel. <laughs> we, uh, we we do. We meet up with people, you know, in, the, in light of COVID-19. We've had a lot of virtual meetings. We have some opportunities for that. 
we're actually developing some new um, tools with some virtual educational opportunities so people can actually connect with us virtually on an ongoing basis. And that's, again, something where you don't have to be a corporate entity. You can be an individual just saying, you know what, I just want to learn more about how to do better in my home. Like, I just want to, you know, and I've got some great, you know, encouragement for that. Uh, you know, even with parents, I, I had a lot of white parents saying, you know, I've got kids. Do I talk to them about it? Do I, do I tell them about racism or do, what do I do? And I'm like, well, one, don't overwhelm your kids because especially if you're shifting directions or focus in your household, it can be very jarring for children. So you don't want to just come at them all of a sudden. Everything's all about black history all of a sudden at your house, but just integrate it into your family culture. Like just demonstrate diversity and tolerance and, and love and embrace, you know, things. So, you know, maybe be more meaningful and mindful about books you purchase intentionally pick books. Don't pick any more books. They have only all white kids, like all the little pink faced children on there. Pick some brown, you know, face kids books where they, everybody's represented. Think about the movies and films that you're letting your kids see. But the other thing I told my friend and I, I started using this a lot is the easiest way for your kids to make black friends is for you to make them first. Most kids, their first friends are the children of their parents' friends. If you want your kid to make some black friends, why don't you try it first? It's really not that tough. You know, do some things like that where it's literally just as kids are growing up. But the other conversation I do want to add, and again, this is on a case-by-case basis, but if you know for a fact that you have had some egregious conscious bias that you've espoused in your home and led your children in, or even some significant unconscious bias that you're suddenly being aware of. You're saying, you know what? I've made flippant comments and I've done and said things that my kids, I should never have said never, and it was wrong. You as a parent need to evaluate what age is too young, but I'm going to tell you this. The first time my brother, my younger brother was called the N-word. He was six or seven years old in his hockey league. First time I was told that a white kid said, I can't play with you because you and your friend, you have black germs. I was seven or eight years old. So for those that are thinking like, well, you know, maybe when they're 10, I can talk. You know what? If you, that, those, those kids, those, which were by our peers. So those six or seven year olds that learn the N word, those seven or eight year olds that have learned that some concept of black germs probably need to go ahead and have a direct conversation about that. You've been direct about your racism. You probably need to be direct about your correction. And only you can figure out how to best communicate that to your child. But if you're going to make a shift in your household, don't use excuses. Well, they're too young, or I just don't want to scare them. Like you've already messed them up with, with your crazy um, feelings about race. So you probably need to start working on roller sleeves and undo that, but it's doable. And kids are resilient and kids, you know, they look to you, they mimic your leadership, they mimic your behavior, even being conscious of just different behaviors when you're at a restaurant, you know, whenever we do all get to go back to restaurants again and, you know, you're in the waiting room and, you know, there's, there's places to sit and there's like a spot, but it's tight near some black people. And you're like, well, we'll just stand, you know, go sit down Mm. or let your kid go sit down. It's okay, you know, and so there's different things that you can change. You know, one of the things I love that my husband does, which he's an amazing heart, and he's just, he's always a very gracious person. So it's a normal behavior for him, but it's fun to watch now the response that he gets in this day and age in this climate. So he is very protective of women. He's very good about supporting women. And so he's very intentional about opening doors for for women and everybody. But he's always very helpful about, you know, helping. He just wants to help and love people. So he's the guy that stops and engages people that, you know, are on the side of the road, you know, asking for money or food or whatever. And he's, um, he's that guy. So him, you know, he's a big white dude. Um, he can be imposing if you didn't know him, but he's got these sparkly bright eyes and he just has, he just wears his heart on the sleeve. So this guy is just intentionally taking that, that, that attention that he gets and he's constantly humbling himself and just shining the light and loving people by opening the doors. He's, he goes out of his way to hold the door for everybody, specifically like men, people of color. Like he just, you know, it's just it's just really fun to watch him honor people, knowing that he is a representative. He is the image and face of what his some people that have done wrong by a lot of these folks. And it's not this false act. 
it's it's literally coming out of who he already is and how he already operates. Right. But his intentionality of holding doors for people and helping people when, you know, their cart's stuck on a curb or whatever it is, I just, I see people have always responded well to it, but there's just this new impact of hope and love that is being demonstrated by this big white dude just honoring other people. And I am so proud of that man and I love everything that he does in that <laughs> space. And it's just, it's incredible. It is absolutely incredible to see. And so things like that, like maybe mm-hmm. you're a guy that always holds doors for, for women, maybe start holding doors for everybody. You know what I mean? So yeah, so that's what we do. Well, how would someone get in touch with you? Yeah, so um, we are again called Crossing Color Lines, which that has a lot of implications, not just about black and white, but you know, you think about again, the thin blue line, um, just different lines that we, we draw in our society. And so we wanna help people find the way to, you know, use some cultural intelligence and find the way to get across those lines. Um, we are, you know, we have a distinctive faith-based kind of approach to things, but we have tools and resources and principles and, you know, techniques that, you know, apply across the board, regardless of where you land in respect to religion and faith. But we um, are available on our website. We're currently putting some updates on the website right now. So we have um, crossingcolorlines.org is where you can find our website. There is a contact form there. You can reach out to us there. You can email us directly at crossingcolorlines at gmail. And actually right now what we're going to do, just because you were so awesome to have us on, we have a, a handout called Meaningful Conversations on, about Race. It is just a tool that really outlines how do you go about having a conversation on race and just kind of some techniques and some tips and some starter questions. Um, normally we hold on to that and we use that with people who've done workshops with us and things. But if anybody wants to reach out to us through our website with contact through the contact form, if they do that and they mention police pod talk for from now until September 1st, we will send that to them for free. Mm-hmm. Um, and just let them kind of have that tool to start beginning to have conversations in their own space. Um, something else we're going to also do is, you know, there is a cost to being able to travel and go to these places and have access to speak to these things and do these things. And people spend a lot of their time doing this stuff. And so, you know, obviously we need to be able to manage some of that. So there are some services that we offer for free. There's resources that we make available for free. And there's other things, of course, that you can bring us in. The cool thing is in this day and age, and as things shift, a lot of corporations, a lot of a lot of entities are finding space in their budget to actually be intentional about bringing this in. You know, there's a whole big move to deal with like sexual harassment many years ago, and it's right. still continued with the Me Too movement. People find a you spend money and you spend resource, spend resource and you spend time on the things that matter to you. Hmm. People are deciding it's time to spend some effort on this stuff, and so you know we want to come in and help with that. So at any rate, so for some of our services, we're also going to make available to Police Pod Talk listeners between now and September 1st. If they reach out to us and they book a service with us, they will get a 15% discount if they mention Police Pod Talk. That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) So we are happy to work with people, to connect with people. We want to make this as accessible as we can for people. So, um, you know, taking donations and all that kind of stuff, we do try to balance and manage and figure out, like, at the end of the day, the point is to try and make these resources available. But, you know, know, we do what we can. So we're going to hook your uh, listeners up. I appreciate that. Listeners, you should appreciate it too. <laughs> That's good. Good stuff. My goodness. We could do two, three, four podcasts with you on all the different things that you know. Because <laughs> I didn't even get a chance to even talk to you about uh, Black Wall Street. <laughs> okay. Oh, <laughs> don't yeah. even don't even start. Nope, I'm, <laughs> not, I'm, not, I'm not. I would love to hear your, your uh, knowledge on that and your feelings wow. about that. But uh, mm. that's another whole story. But my goodness, I do always appreciate your knowledge. And uh, your feelings on everything that's going on is always good. And thank you so much. I just enjoy. I, I'm telling you, it's like I'm going to school, just sitting in a classroom, just <laughs> listening and learning. And as I sit here and take notes, also, I'm, I'm taking little notes off to the side. But uh, I yeah. always do appreciate that. 
Uh, folks, again, um, we got Angel Dixon, and yeah. uh, she's with Crossing Color Lines, and that's the, the organization that she's with now. She branched off from the other one that we were talking about, but uh, we want to remember Crossing Color Lines is where she's at, crossingcolorlines.org, or, or you can email her at crossingcolorlines at, at gmail.com, uh, all the same. Take advantage of what she has, what she has to offer, and especially now in this time that we are in. I mean, let's do something positive with everything that's going on and learn a little bit of something about ourselves and others. And that's the only way we're going to get through this thing, taking time to stop and listen to one another and hear each other out. So, uh, Angel, I, I, appreciate, I appreciate everything you have done. Every time we have talked, every time we've reached out to each other, and if ever there's something else, like I said, uh, I'd love to do something on uh, Black Wall Street with you and uh, more about policing and, and the history of it again, because I know there's a lot more you haven't even touched yet on, uh, yeah. on all of yeah. that. But Thank I do, you so much. I do appreciate it. And listeners, uh, again, you know how to get in touch with me. If you have any other questions you want to ask Angel, uh, I'll be more than happy to reach out with her. But from this point on, Angel, thank you very much. We're going to let our listeners go, and we will catch them again next week on Police Pod Talk. Thanks again for hanging out with us. Remember, you can always go to policepodtalk at gmail.com or check us out on Facebook at Cleveland Junior or Police Pod Talk. Thanks again. We'll see you next week. Today's episode on Police Pod Talk is sponsored by Crossing Color Lines. Crossing Color Lines is an organization established to speak directly to the issues of race, culture, and ethnicity in the world today. Crossing Color Lines offers resources, tools, and guidance to help anyone along their journey towards racial healing. For more information on Crossing Color Lines, go to crossingcolorlines.org.